Welcome to Support Heroes by Kaizo, the number one source of customer support insights in the world of audio. I'm your host, Sebastian. Each week on the show, we'll be having insightful conversations with customer support professionals from some of the most well-known and exciting companies around the world. If you're looking to forward your career in customer support, this is the place to learn from those who have succeeded in doing exactly that. Our superstar guests are at the ready to provide you the lessons they learned from many years on the front line of customer support. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy yet another episode of Support Heroes by Kaizo. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me. It's lovely to see you. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Sebastian. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, doing well today here in California, so trying to soak up some winter sun and um, excited to dive into our conversation and, and get stuck in. As am I, as am I. Winter sun is something quite uncommon to me, I must say. <laughs> A little bit jealous <laughs> I am, I have to say also, but I, I'm feeling very relaxed uh, despite the the weather being cold, I think, you know, just staying inside, having a nice bath and having a relaxing evening has put me in good stead for this podcast. So I'm also happy that you're feeling good. Um, so without further ado, let's just get straight into it. So Caitlin, um, the way we usually start the show is I just ask the guests to kind of introduce themselves, tell us where they come from, um, sort of talk about how they got into CS, because I mean, you can do a much better job of introducing yourself than I can. So Caitlin, please tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, will do. So uh, again, great to be here. Uh, Name is Caitlin, Senior Director of Customer Support at Intercom. Uh, been with Intercom for about four years, exclusively working in um, our uh, uh, sales and customer support organization, uh, leading the great customer support team. Um, before that, uh, spent about eight years uh, working at Yelp, which uh, uh, some of you may know is a local review website um, all around the world, but particularly popular in North America. I'm actually very familiar with a lack of winter sun. I spent seven years in the UK and Ireland uh, oh, really? growing, growing Yelp's uh, international presence. Um, and I actually, though I am from California and currently residing in California, I joined Intercom uh, at their Dublin headquarters uh, and so have had the joy of working in, uh, we're sort of a two-headed monster, if you will. We've got headquarters in San Francisco as well as in Dublin and have spent time uh, in both pre-lockdown, of course. Um, you know, and I guess really zooming out, my entire career has been in the customer experience and service space, you know, from coffee shops and cafes uh, in college, um, getting started as an advertising account manager for a local publication, had big dreams of a uh, big career in, in, the, um, in the print world. And, and the reality of that uh, became very clear to me, uh, uh, sadly. Uh, upon joining that industry, and so quickly uh, hopped over to the the tech space, um, yeah, and, and and had a great run at Yelp, and you know over time expanded my work and focus from sort of external customers, if you will, to both internal and external, with a move into leadership, uh, transitioned from the online or search ad space uh, that I'd previously been in into the software space. Uh, with my move to Intercom, uh, and also move from sort of more the commercial or direct commercial focus side of the house to the technical uh, support of the side of the house, which has been a, a, a huge and great, wonderful learning experience for me. Um, yeah, I could go on, but that's sort of it in a nutshell. And uh, love working with internal and external customers today, just as much as I did at that coffee shop, you know, 15 years ago. So you've spoken about internal and external customers. Could you kind of expand on that a little bit? Because that's not something I've heard of very often. Sure. So, you know, external, uh, your customers, the bread and butter of your business. You know, uh, mm. we have a, a, a value or a tenant here at Intercom, which is, you know, being obsessed with our customers' success. And that's how I think about it when it comes to external customers. These are the folks that pay you money. They are the backbone of your business and caring about their problems, their needs, their uh, their interests, um, their backgrounds. Uh, that's that's that group for me and a group that I have always cared a lot about and continue to. I think when you lead teams, whether that be a, a functional team of, you know, four to seven people uh, as a frontline manager, if you will, or if you lead an organization like I do of, you know, 70 I, uh, individual contributors and managers and senior managers, they're also your customers, right? You are responsible for their engagement, their well-being, their performance, uh, certainly in the workspace. And uh, in many ways, you know, you want to bring that sort of servant 
uh, focus and commitment to them just as much as you do uh, to your customers. And those things are mutually beneficial. You invest in one to uh, to support the other and, and vice versa. Amen to that. Well, I'm very pleased to hear that. I really like the dichotomy, actually. I haven't heard someone use that uh, terminology before, and I, I sort of guessed that the internal would be the employees, but I wanted to check. But um, yeah, I can really see how that kind of affects your approach, right? I think actually, having done a few shows now and spoken to some really, really smart and high-level people within support, something I'm really beginning to notice is that servant leadership is a, a big theme among people in your position. Um, and I think it's very interesting. And I, you know, I'd be remiss to say if I knew that servant leadership was such a big theme and maybe other facets of the business. But looking at support specifically, I think it makes a lot of sense because essentially those human beings are the voice of the business and their emotions, the, the way they feel about their job, how supported they feel is all going to affect their sort of um, emotional regulation, their uh, ability to stay with the company and their ability to do a good job day in, day out. So I definitely understand that. Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, how, how did you enjoy Ireland? Ireland's a wonderful place. I really, I haven't been to Dublin, but I'd very much like to go. Could you talk to me a little bit about your time there? Oh, happily. Uh, yes, I said <laughs> You five... must have drunk a lot of Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. Five great years. I, I moved from London to Dublin to open Yelp's um, uh, uh, Dublin-based office back in 2014. Um, I was on a one-year contract and, uh, uh, you know, went uh, to HR uh, with my head bowed asking if I could extend for much longer than that. I, uh, in, I must say I'm married to a wonderful uh, Irish man. So we met there and, and that was a, a wonderful part of my time there. But, you know, really one of the greatest uh, loves of my life was, uh, was, uh, the country of Ireland. I, I moved there uh, with very few expectations. I'm not Irish. I had not spent much time in Ireland. And, um, you know, the people, the culture, the countryside, um, the fact that uh, coming from London, no offense, lots of love for London as well. But going from, you know, several tubes, uh, tube rides and navigating King's Cross to a short 10 minute stroll with the wind in my face to work was a really positive change for me personally. So yeah, nothing but good things to say. And obviously, Intercom was founded in Dublin and is a great success story out of the tech community there and um, a story I've been very proud to be a part of. Amazing. No, I definitely relate and understand your uh, your move away from London. I did the same. I was living in London, then I moved to Leeds in the north for much of the same reasons. Um, it's it's just a, a city almost too big to, to feel homely, right? I think that's, many people gather that. But Ireland is a wonderful place. I really, really adore Irish people. They're so fun-loving and welcoming. Lovely. Despite being English and there being a little bit of friction there, um, they've been remarkably kind <laughs> and lovely to me. So I really, really appreciate them. Um, so something I'm very interested in, actually, uh, before we get into some of the other themes that we wanted to talk about today, um, I'm very interested in how Intercom has kind of managed to maintain a, a bridge between Ireland and California, right? Because as you said, Intercom is a, an Irish-born company, but I know that you have a very big presence in California. And I can imagine because of your global presence, um, you have support people sort of distributed all over the place. So could you talk to me a little bit about how you and your department uh, managed to keep everyone connected and on the same page? And are there any challenges that have been associated with doing so? Sure. So, yeah, there's a few components there, I guess, uh, at the highest level, you know, our company being this, as I said, two-headed beast, you know, there are some inherent challenges to having the the strategy and uh, business of your business being run out of two places. But I think that the benefits far outweigh the challenges, you know, just like culturally and, and from like diverse backgrounds and perspectives, uh, mm. you know, there's, there's a lot more that comes to the table in that regard. And, um, uh, you know, from, uh, there's just so many benefits that I have personally seen and felt from this sort of European and American blend really infused mm. into the roots and soul of the company. And then how that manifests in our annual, you know, goals and the, the tenants or values that we set. So. Uh, I think, you know, it's worth calling out at the highest level that as a company having um, that, uh, I think, really works in our favor uh, for mm. a lot of obvious and not so obvious and more subtle reasons. In terms of the customer support team, I mean, I think, you know, support teams are distributed. They are. They always have been. They always will be. It looks different for different companies for different reasons uh, for us and how we maintain connection and what that looks like for us couple things come to mind. You know, we talked about those internal customers and me as the director and having this brilliant team of frontline managers and senior managers. You know, when your org gets to a certain size, it, it's 70 people, 100 people, 300 people, 
there's only so much that you can do as one person. And so really hiring, investing in and nurturing and celebrating a fantastic, you know, management team is just absolutely crucial. And that for us has certainly been a secret to our success. Uh, many of our managers were former individual contributors on our team, not all, but some. We've got a nice blend there. And so, you know, really leading through your managers to drive continuity and connection and to hold that high bar um, has been hugely effective for us. And I think very important for any business. Um, beyond that, you know, uh, our roots as a support team, we had a lot of folks that were never in any of our offices, which of course is now the norm. But back then was right. a little bit odd because Intercom is, is, you know, we have offices, we love our offices and people work in those offices, but we always had remote folks around the world. So there was this high level of commitment to documentation and creating sort of a consistent uh, way of working and communicating and culture and inside jokes and lingo and, you yeah. know, all of this stuff, you know, to really ensure that there didn't have to be that sitting side by side connection in order to do uh, great work. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the transition amidst COVID to uh, remote working has been a challenge for us like any any other company. But I think our support team was uniquely suited to to thrive in this environment because it's just sort of inherent to the nature of how support teams work. And the fact that we have always been, and I can't even take credit for this, you know, credit to my predecessor and many of the intercomrades, as we call them, that came long before me that were so committed to great documentation and the centralization of information so that everyone had the information they needed at their fingertips at a, at a moment's notice uh, to be successful was really uh, important. And then I guess lastly, I'll say this year or the last 12 months, I guess, is a better way to say it, uh, has certainly brought its own flavor of challenges. And so knowing when to throw the rule book out the window and get creative and approach things from a new uh, an innovative perspective has been helpful to us as well as just doubling down on the things that we know really work for our team um, uh, from both a remote perspective, but also just as a unit, as a, as a collective. Mm, understood. Um, just out of curiosity, what were some of those rules that you threw out the window? Are there some sort of salient and available? If not, we can, we can move on. No, that's a, a good follow-up question. Let me think of an example here. You know, I couldn't name like one meeting, but I think, you know, re rethinking our meeting strategies uh, was an important one. I am not alone in complaining about like Zoom and Google video overwhelm. You know, we're all living right. our lives on our computers now all day long, both with friends, family and work. Absolutely. And so I think at the start of, uh, you know, the COVID impact, we were all in on FaceTime with the team, everyone on video all the time for you know the serious stuff and the not so serious stuff and then very quickly started to realize that you know um whereas in the office like hey everyone let's just go jump in a room and like let's work this thing out you know may not be as effective over video as as we would have wanted it to be uh for a mm -hmm. variety of reasons so i think i guess my answer to that in the moment would be rethinking our meeting cadence and structure like why are we having these meetings what is the goal what is the format can we adapt them to be most effective in this remote environment and then also seeking to minimize the amount of time we're having folks spending on a screen uh, because regardless of the quality of that meeting there is such a thing as just too many Yes, absolutely. And I think everyone has experienced meeting fatigue, but something I've personally been uh, encountering a lot is, you know, it's quite hard often to get work done between meetings when you have a, a day stacked with meetings and you've got 15 minutes, 10 minutes between them. Um, it's very difficult to make the most of those 10, 15 minutes. So I definitely understand what you mean. It's also interesting that you say that because I just spoke to Charlotte Ward and um, she actually said no good work gets done in Zoom meetings, which I thought mm -hmm. was quite an interesting notion. Um, and I'm sure everyone somewhat relates to that, but it is, you know, it is something that we've all had to sort of change. Um, but I'm also very happy to know that you and the team have been doing well, despite the challenges. Um, I think also that's quite a good segue into uh, something I wanted to ask you about. Um, with, you know, this whole shift uh, with COVID, right, this global pandemic that's been affecting us all, um, it's really impacted the way that companies are interacting with customers, right? And something that we spoke about before the podcast, just the sort of transformation of the way that companies build relationships with their customers now in this sort of fully digital space. Um, customers can't interact with companies in the brick and mortar stores. And I know Intercom is a purely uh, online company, but 
Could you talk to me somewhat about this digital transformation that, that we've had to undergo due to COVID? And I know that you have some thoughts on it. I do. Yeah. So, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking and talking about how the pandemic has shifted how we build relationships with customers, we and right. the collective we, you know, and I think we see that there's been a ton of change. So two main things come to mind for me, the first of which you touched on that is undeniable, the shift to digital first. This is happening at a breakneck speed. Uh, some businesses doubling down on their online presence and many going online for the first time. And this, of course, is creating a need for tools uh, that enable them to do business online, of course, but to also build relationships. How do you build relationships with your customers during a pandemic when you can't see them face to face? And you used to, you know, simply allowing them to purchase uh, items on your website and leave isn't going to do the trick there, you know? And so we think a lot about this building relationships uh, component. And I certainly think about what this means for support teams, our own, as well as the support teams that we serve in our mm -hmm. customer bases. And, you know, we have all had to adjust how we work. Uh, certainly the ones that have gone remote for the first time, which wasn't the case for us, but is for many. So, you know, there is a, a serious tooling component uh, to this shift which is to you know, enable businesses to work and build relationships with their customers in different ways uh, and at different scales that goes beyond, as I said, uh, purchasing products online. Mm -hmm. And then I guess the second thing is, you know, customer expectations are at an all-time high. I know mine are, I'm sure yours are, you know, uh, for a variety of reasons, whether it be less money to spend or just greater concern or because of everything going on in the world or just a change in habits, um, there's a lot of uncertainty. And so people are demanding fast and personal experiences and communication uh, from the businesses that they work with, you know, and like, just think about like online shopping, right? If you have a poor experience, either in purchasing or delivery, and there is another option available to you, it's very easy to switch, right? So yeah. We did some research on this at the end of last year um, that found that 73% of support leaders, so folks just like myself, say mm -hmm. you know that they really see and feel that customer expectations are rising and there is a demand for personalized and fast support. But only 42% of that 73 um, feel like they're meeting those expectations. So again, mm -hmm. we're digital first, doubling down or doing it for the first time. We've got customer expectations at an all-time high. And so to really survive or thrive amidst all of this, you know, uh, and we've talked about this idea of like, you can't settle for good enough. You can't just go online and say, well, job well done. Uh, we got there uh, because people aren't really happy to settle, especially when they have so many options and they're doing so much online. So providing a great customer experience isn't really an option. It's, it's essential. So uh, this right. is, yes, exactly. So, you know, we, we think a lot about, you know, and what we talk about in Intercom is like conversational support and conversational mm -hmm. messaging and these conversational technologies to meet these modern expectations and to make it possible for businesses to connect with their customers uh, in a personal way and relationship build, but to do that at, uh, you know, rapid, rapid scale. So there's a lot to to discuss and pull apart here, but you know, suffice it to say, um, relationship building is incredibly important. Uh, it costs a lot of money to acquire a customer. You definitely want to hang on to them. And so recognizing that they're online and you need to build for that online experience and that their expectations are high and you need to meet those expectations are key. Right. Absolutely. And I think the interesting thing about your position with Intercom is that not only are you supporting your customers, right, but your product is also one that provides support to your customers' customers, um, which mm -hmm. is quite an interesting use case. So on that point of conversational support, um, not only are you creating conversational support for your customers, but you're also somewhat teaching them how to then apply that to their business and then use Intercom as a tool to facilitate conversational support with the customers that they're serving. And have you seen some a shift in your strategy in the support department in that regard because of this I'm sure you've had an influx of customers due to COVID. And I would imagine that quite a few of them aren't necessarily as online savvy, as tech savvy, dare I say, um, as many of the ones that were there before. 
Absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head there. You know, we often talk about being our, our own best use case. Um, mm. You know, I guess I'll share a story with you and then and then get into some some additional thoughts on this. But, you know, at the, t- at the tail end of last year, we found ourselves in a position which many support teams unfortunately do at one point or another, where uh, due to a variety of factors, the inflow of work uh, uh, outdid uh, the outflow that we were able to produce. There was just too much work and and not enough people. And, um, uh, you know, for us, we take it very seriously that not only do we care deeply about providing a fantastic experience to our customers, but we are that representation of how Intercom can allow you to rise to these needs, you know, and for us, the challenge wasn't actually our tooling at the time. It was just a staffing um, issue that we needed to address and, and, and kind of speed up some hiring and, and reduce our time to get folks onboarded. But nevertheless, it was very heavy on our minds and certainly the minds of our marketing team and those that care about our brand, where mm. if we are not showing up as the best example here in terms of how Intercom can uh, unlock your ability to provide that fast and efficient, but also really personal support at scale, uh, then, you know, we're, we're in trouble. So we really put, you know, I mean, literally the whole company behind getting on top of this. We had um, something that we called customer day, the big dig out. And we, uh, we pulled um, over, I think 150 volunteers from the company into our inboxes with our customers in partnership with the customer support team. Yeah. And it was, Oh, it was brilliant. There was so much energy and buzz uh, uh, within the company getting out there and talking to our customers and uh, Mm. our customers, you know, the CSAT scores escaped me now. This was several months ago, but they were sky Mm. high. You know, so it was a really positive experience, but I share that story to say this, you know, great power, great responsibility, like whatever we um, do not take it lightly that in addition to carrying the great responsibility of supporting intercoms, you know, thousands and thousands and growing, growing number of customers, it's also on us to be that example of um, it's possible. You can balance efficient support and you can scale it and you can also do it in a personal way that supports the building of those relationships that I uh, talked about previously. So I'll take a breath there and pause in case you've got a follow up, but I've got so much more to share in terms of like, um, you know, once we sort of corrected the staffing component, what we have done and will continue to do to sort of bring the intercom philosophies and leveraging the products to life to continue to offer great personal support at scale. Well, Caitlin, I very much appreciate you thinking of my position, but this is your stage as much as is mine. So if there's other points you'd like to make, then please continue. Okay, great. Um, you know, if so, you'd like me to jump in, I can also do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, uh, I'm a talker. So sometimes I, no I want to make sure that I'm uh, taking a beat. Ironically so, enough, that's the, perfect, that's the perfect kind of person to have on this show. Great. Um, I guess the thing that I get most excited to talk about is this framework that we developed called the conversational support uh, funnel. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we love this idea conversational. We think that conversational is personal, right? And so this support funnel is this blueprint uh, that we follow and we share with businesses to demonstrate to them how they can increase efficiency and improve their customer experience, as well as the morale of their support teams, right? Back to that Mm -hmm. internal customer experience. What's good for them is good for our customers. Mm -hmm. And so this concept is how we think, you know, modern support should look like. And uh, it empowers uh, customers to scale these messenger-based experiences. So when I say messenger-based, what I'm talking about is we believe that, um, you know, messengers are the way that customers want to communicate with companies and the way that companies should prioritize communicating with their customers. Messengers, you know, whether it's WhatsApp or iMessage or Facebook Messenger, this is the modern way of communicating. And so sticking with these archaic forms and no reply emails and, um, uh, you know, kind of ticketing based systems is the way of the past. And so, uh, you know, conversational, this conversational support funnel, how this meets the power of a messenger um, is something that we think is really powerful and sort of creating a upside down triangle with my hands here. You know, the funnel, as we think about it, is rather simple, but as I said, powerful. Uh, it combines proactive self-serve and human support capabilities in your messenger. So all this mm-hmm. power going on behind the scenes, but you've got this messenger that sits on your website that facilitates two-way communication with your customers. 
um, that lets support teams get ahead of known problems before they arise. Um, it automatically answers repetitive questions from your customers with bots, and it helps to quickly resolve complex issues by getting it to the right team member in real time or asynchronously. That's something I think is so interesting too. Historically, people tend to associate chat, if you will, I'm using inverted commas, um, mm-hmm. with you know real time communication, which is 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 expensive and hard to scale, but um, Chat doesn't have to be uh, uh, real time or synchronous these days. There's a lot of um, uh, smart workflows and powerful technology that can create a great messenger or chat experience, but do so asynchronously. But we're really doubling down on these three components. Proactive support, this is a huge step change for customer support and a necessary shift where known questions that can be answered proactively using targeted content are. Someone on our product team the other day called this using outbound to reduce inbound. This is great for scaling your support team and business, but it's also just great for your customers too. There's a lot of really interesting research out there. Unfortunately, I don't have a stat to hand, but people prefer, most people prefer to self-serve. They prefer not to have to send an email, fill out a form, open the messenger. They want to get their question answered quickly and they want to move on with their day and accomplish their task, right? So if you can offer that like right support at the right time with the right content in the right place, that is a beautiful thing and something. Yeah. So very exciting there. Um, Self-serve support, you know, this is the repetitive questions. How do I log in? I lost my password. Um, How do I add a new user? These repetitive, you know, pretty objective, simple questions that can be answered automatically. You can use chatbots, you can use a knowledge base. There's so much out there to power this. And, and it's good. People would rather help themselves, right, in those situations. Absolutely, right? So proactive, get there before they even maybe even need they know it. <laughs> Self-serve, mm-hmm. serve it to them as they, as they, as they need it. Uh, and then human support, of course, the most important part. But how can you really filter out the work that isn't required for the smart, brilliant people you hire to talk to your customers uh, and leave that more complex or, or, or work that frankly just requires a bit of empathy, stuff that robots can't do so well? Um, so again, the funnel, I'm excited. We're excited. We think you know, messenger meets conversational uh, support philosophies and frameworks is really what unlocks this new modern era of uh, great support at scale. I very much agree. And in the theme that we've been speaking about thus far, I think it's very, very relevant because um, just to preface this to you, Caitlin, um, I have a deep passion for social science. So I'm extremely interested in human behavior. I'm fascinated by human beings. Um, And I think something that rang really, really true to me is when you noted that conversational, uh, a conversational format is the most human format, right? And it's often the, the preferred format. And I think when the world has been forced into uh, isolation and has been forced to communicate almost solely through the digital uh, space. I think that that conversational tone becomes so much more powerful, right? Because you can't build a relationship with um, a brick wall. You can't build a relationship mm-hmm. with a website that's cold and dead. Um, and I think facilitating those conversations really does inject an element of humanity where there otherwise wouldn't be. And, you know, to also link back to how we kind of started this conversation. Given the current atmosphere in the world, I think that not only do the brands, but the customers benefit from that injection of humanity, right? It's just much more easy and pleasant to, to feel as though you've connected with a human being and that they can help you rather than just kind of being left off on your own in a, in a cold, isolated situation as we all are. Oh, absolutely. And isn't it so strange, you know, and, you know, as a customer leader and a person who spent her whole career in the customer space um, and caring for customer facing teams, that you know, we feel that it's okay and that we have permission to speak to folks that work in the support space or service space uh, via email or phone or chat in a way that we would never speak to someone face-to-face. And I'm not perfect. And I've, I've been guilty of that in the past, but there's something so interesting there. And so you know, through uh, certainly using intercom, um, you know, and, and other technologies out there, I'm sure. But, you know, when you're um, connecting uh, using a, a system like a messenger, that is mm-hmm. the modern way of communicating and connecting. It's how you talk to your friends, your family. And this is now how you talk to the businesses uh, that you do business with or you spend your money with or your customers. 
I think it does, it, it injects a bit of that humanity back in is, as you said, and then, you know, I know this sounds so silly and sometimes I'll be in a meeting hearing myself talk quite seriously about the impact of emojis or GIFs. Um, you know, I and I think, <laughs> as, emoji, do I, as do I, you know, but the impact they have today will probably look different in 10 years, but just as an example of the right here, right now, what, you know, a bit of um, personality and authenticity can bring to an interaction. And, it, you know, it doesn't work yeah. every time. There are some customers that are just mad and they want their issue resolved and or they're busy and or you've not met their expectations and no amount of gifts, emojis or friendly faces are, are going to change that. But um, our, you know, our CSAT scores are sky high, I think, as a result of this, though, because you know, of course, the team, I believe, is doing a great job and working really hard and we're trying to offer fantastic experiences. Um, but there's just a greater appreciation and connection between our team and our customers than I think if we were doing stuff, say, over the phone or in a more traditional setting. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting the way that culture disseminates in that way, right? I think something I found, um, I've always really, really appreciated. Um, do you know where the origin of the word meme came from? I don't, but I'm excited for you to enlighten me. <laughs> So there's a British biologist called Richard Dawkins, who's very um, prevalent for being an atheist, um, rather anti-religion in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, you can criticize him, but he, uh, he basically came up with the word meme as being a cultural gene, right? So it's a small mm. segment of culture that then passed down for, for generations or from one person to another. And um, I think when you're, when you're given that definition, the word meme and the notion of memes and the purpose of memes actually becomes a lot more profound. Because, you know, if you try and explain what a meme is to maybe someone who's never heard of it, it's a, a funny picture that is very relatable, that communicates some sort of human concept. But it's a somewhat transcendent medium, right? Because it's not just a joke. It's not. It's, it's a concept. It's a feeling. And I think what we're really getting at in this conversation and with this particular point is that there's a translation of humanity. And I think, you know, within an emoji or within a uh, a meme or within a gif um there is a greater sense of humanity than in a cold email or uh, within a formal letter and i think also what we're really seeing is if you sort of interpret i don't know if you've ever done this before but seen adverts from the 1950s they're ever so dry right and they're they're mm. really uptight and the world has really really moved away from that right and i find it quite mm -hmm. interesting because i think you see a lot of legacy brands very much I wouldn't say struggling, but but really not necessarily understanding the transition that we're going through. And you see sort of brands that were birthed on the internet or, you know, in subcultures such as gaming, for example, really kind of lowering themselves to the, the, the point of the person that they're talking to, right? I think one example that comes to mind is um, uh, esports organizations really just don't take themselves very seriously. In a sense, esports is a competitive video gaming. Um, mm. And these organizations, they'll post memes and jokes about their own teams. Now, you would never see sort of Chelsea Football Club taking <laughs> this out of themselves after they've just lost a match, you know? I mean, I yeah. don't know if you know very much about football culture in the UK, but you were in Dublin, so I'm sure you at least gathered somewhat. But that's not really something that would be appropriate, right? But then if you mm -hmm. see in the new digital space, this emergent space that's filled with uh, people that grew up on the internet, um, they have a very different feeling and they actually applaud uh, these organizations for basically taking the piss out of themselves. Mm -hmm. Yes, very familiar with English football culture in my household. <laughs> uh, we've got a big Liverpool fan uh, in the oh, house. Really? Oh, your husband must be very happy as of late then. Uh, not as of late. Last year, big time, year before as well, as of late, not so much. But uh, beyond that, you know, I think your your point here is so interesting and, and so spot on. And it's you know, and it will continue to evolve, right? You know, what does uh, what does personal uh, mean and what do these uh, connections um, uh, look like in 10, 15 years? Um, I don't I don't anticipate a swing back to more formal and traditional. Um, if I were a betting man. <laughs> yeah, same. But it, 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 is it going to look exactly like it does today? I don't think it will. And, and that is, mm. you know, on the uh, emoji and meme point specifically, you know, I'm I'm you know, I imagine there may at some point be some fatigue there as well. And we talk about this on our team, you know, when it is and it isn't appropriate to uh, keep things rather casual. And again, that's that huge, that's where you need humans, right? So yeah. um, the proactive support is powerful and huge and we're doubling down on it and it's great. And the 
self-serve support, um, table stakes, right? Every business should be giving their customers a way to, to self-serve what they need uh, and to do it well and not make them channel switch. Like if you're going to serve them content, tr try to be as confident as you can that it's what they're looking for. And then, you know, leave the the stuff that requires empathy, that requires humanity, that requires complex problem solving um, uh, to your humans, you know, and, uh, oh, I could go on and on. This stuff is so interesting. <laughs> mm. Well, it's very true. It's very true. And I think that people appreciate having that human element, but also I think something that I spoke with, um, Sue Morris about who is, um, chief customer officer at, uh, GitHub. Mm -hmm. Um, she really noted the fact that customer expectations have shifted, not only due to us being in a subscription economy. So meaning that people can just very, very easily switch from one subscription to another. But also she kind of noted that there are moments of truth whereby a customer is in need. And within that moment of truth, quite often it's the touch of the human being that interacts with them, that kind of leaves this emotional um, impression on their minds. And if you want to take that from a branding perspective or you know, from a pure business perspective, that emotional impression is what then drives retention, right? And I think you know, as we're, we've seen with COVID, Certain companies have embraced the idea that support specifically will be their retention driver, will be their sort of keepsake for their their customers, the the magnet, as it were, to keep them around. And I think some mm -hmm. some companies have kind of not necessarily adopted that, not necessarily taken to that, and as a result, they haven't satisfied their customers. And then those customers have moved on and switched because, as mm -hmm. exactly as you said, this the the landscape has changed. Um, and when we are all stuck at home, unable to, you know, go out and buy some clothes, go get some plants for our homes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we are just going to go to the other person, the other company that is capable of satisfying our needs. And you can't blame people for that. Absolutely. You cannot. No, I think it's, um, you know, retention is, uh, is the name of the game these days, right? Because of the subscri subscription economy, as well as just the unit economics uh, of your business. What I like about it is, is two things. One, it's just good business, you know, doing the right thing to, uh, firstly demonstrate value to your customers, but to, to treat them well, <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's just, it's just good business. I like that good, you know, human behavior meets good business practice. That's a, that's yeah. a beautiful uh, merging of things Agreed. in life. And, and then the second reason I love it is, you know, having spent my career in customer service, support experience, whatever you want to call it, there is this um, light that is being shown on customer facing teams, a prioritization of their opinion and input, um, mm. giving them better titles, giving them better pay, paying attention to them. Uh, you know, I just, I, I, as someone who spent uh, their career in this space and worked with people that have devoted their lives to customers, which it sometimes can be a, a, an abusive space. It can be a thankless task. It can be a right. bit of a grind. Um, you know, and I, I've certainly seen this at Intercom with our own team. It, it, you know, our customer team has always been prioritized and, and that's been a beautiful thing. But even in the last uh, year where we've really started to double down on offering great uh, support technologies to our customers because the need is there amidst COVID. This modern era of support is happening and it is accelerating. Um, as our product team has really doubled down on that space, um, there is just an appetite and interest uh, to connect with our team as a proxy for connecting with our customers as evidenced by the enthusiasm for the customer day experience I shared with you and, and many other initiatives um, that is really empowering and exciting for our team, you know, rather than feeling like they're just on the front lines and it's rinse, wash and repeat for conversations with our customers, um, you know, the work that they do. And, and we're always working on how to do this in a better way and make it more powerful. It's a work in progress, but mapping, you know, the work that they do, how they're transmitting the themes that we're getting from our customers over to our product team. So our product team can incorporate that into the work that they're doing. And we're then closing the loop with our customers. Um, that can really inspire and drive a lot of meaning in the work that you're doing. And so I get so excited for folks that are continuing in or just starting a career in the customer space, because it's a, it's a great time to work in this space. I really believe that. Agreed. Agreed. And a big theme that we've been addressing a lot on the podcast is actually the benefits of working within support and by extension, working within these customer-facing roles, thinking about the customer and putting yourself in their shoes. 
Um, and something that really resonated with me was when you said, you know, being good to people is also doing good business. And if, you know, maybe someone is not quite convinced by, by that notion, I would just urge them to go down to the small scale. Think of a bakery, think of a restaurant, think of um, one of these small businesses that's on the street that is deeply interconnected with the community around them. Good business at the end of the day comes down to treating your customers well and building a relationship with them and then they'll stay with you. Because human beings are biologically hardwired through the, um, the phenomenon of reciprocity um, to give back when, when they're, they're given gifts, it'd be that social gifts or, or, or just you know everyday kindness. Um, and I think the, exactly as you said, the, the, the beauty of understanding this is really that if you just nail, if you nail that relationship, right? and you operationalize it in a way that makes money, you can almost make any business model work, right? Any product, any uh, interaction work for you. And I think that what people are understanding more and more by putting more of an emphasis on these customer-facing roles, and exactly as you said, giving them more prestige, giving them greater salaries, listening to them more, is an understanding that actually through the digital space, these interactions are coming to the forefront of business and through analytics and tooling, I think that there's becoming a greater and greater understanding that, hey, you know, if you piss your customers off, they'll leave. And if you give back to them, they'll stay. And the evidence is sort of right in front of you and it's undeniable. And I'm very, very happy and, and very motivated by the fact that you're feeling a shift generally in the, in the industry, um, because this is something that I think has been long overdue. I would agree, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm a, a customer experience that someone on our team recently had comes to mind where the customer was notably unsatisfied. There was, um, uh, without going down the rabbit hole too far on the example, you know, there was just something with a pricing component that just uh, kind of logically didn't make sense to them. And upon second view from us, didn't make a whole lot of sense to us either. Now, we're not able to overnight launch a wholesale change how we've structured pricing for this one feature for this one customer based on all of their needs and you know and it was essentially like you know being really real with them and saying like we hear you this is you know super fair feedback we're going to make sure that this gets passed along to the right team i i wish i had a better um uh, resolution for you here that would be a, a happier uh, easier experience for both of us, but nevertheless, it's really important mm. for me to know that that you have been heard. And credit to the, the the young man on our team that had this conversation with the customer. We then, you know, we pipe um, uh, any customer um, negative customer feedback as it relates to our product or our brand. We route that uh, into a Slack channel, and um, several hundred people just sort of keep their eye on it. And this really interesting discussion then unfolded on the back end. Uh, between actually one of our co-founders, uh, a leader on our pricing oh, wow. and packaging team, someone from our biz ops team, uh, and myself to just kind of get to the bottom of this and understand if we could take action. So again, I think it isn't always about just like delight and gifting and, um, you know, putting a smile on your customer's face. Of course, that stuff is great and good when, when you can do it, but it's also doing right by them after that experience and ensuring that they A, feel heard. Uh, that you're going to do all that you can to support them. And very often, you it's not always what they want, or at least as fast as they want, but take action. You know, I'm a big fan of control the controllable, take action where and how you can. And it was just interesting. I mean, this is just kind of still ongoing, but it was interesting to see how this conversation then unfolded on the back end. And I think we'll absolutely really drive some positive change, not tomorrow, but in the mm. long run, as it relates to this one customer's poor experience. Well, that's really cool to hear because that's that's one customer and that's a giant organization that operates with hundreds of employees across multiple time zones and countries. And that one customer's feedback was held, was uh, was heard all the way up to the co-founder. So that's that's really, really cool. Um, Caitlin, I know I have you for a limited time and, and that time is somewhat coming to an end. So I wanted to slip in one question before I open the floor to you. Um, something that I find really interesting about your position within in Intercom and your department's position is that you're using the product that you're selling. Um, and you've spoken about how sort of you guys have to be emblematic of how Intercom ought to be used and, and you carry that responsibility. But could you talk to me a little bit about how um, the product has evolved under your um, time in Intercom just by, by virtue of actually using it in the department and how has your relationship to the product changed moving into the role of using it operationally while also servicing the customers that are using it as well? 
Absolutely. So how has it changed? And, um, you know, Intercom has always, uh, from its earliest days, been a customer communication tool, right? You've got the messenger on the front end, the CRM on the back end, and a variety of inbound and outbound messaging tools, throw in a help center or knowledge base uh, product, you know, so at its core, it has always been about enabling businesses to connect and communicate with their customers and customers to connect with businesses. And, you know, it was interesting. You talked about the bakery or the cafe intercom's origin story was, you know, founders sitting in a coffee shop working on a project that wasn't what intercom is today. And, you know, watching Mm. day in and day out the experience between the owner of that coffee shop and their customers and asking themselves why it felt so different to communicate with businesses online than it does in person. Right. So all that to say, one of the things I loved about joining Intercom and working with this team was that uh, we used Intercom, this modern way of communicating with your customers. And it was modern four years ago and it's modern today. And the, that was really uh, empowering to the team that I, that I support and I work with. And um, many of them having worked in customer facing organizations previously felt like, oh, this is such relief. This is just better. This is just a better way to talk to customers, yeah. right? So that was there from day one. How have I see how have I seen it change? Um, you know, we are hyper focused as a company on ushering in this new generation of support, conversational support, right. right? Conversational marketing, the phenomenon has become a key marketing tactic in the past few years. And we really envision the same for conversational support. You know, the total addressable market for customer support is, you know, almost I think they say 30 billion by 2022, you know, there's lots of billions and millions of uh, dollars out there, uh, you know, in businesses seeking to find a tool that will help them do what I've always been so proud of our team being able to do, which is to connect to our customers uh, personally and at scale to varying degrees of success. And it's always getting better and better. Uh, What's been most fun, though, in the latest chapter obviously a dark chapter in the world and a very difficult one. And I'm I'm sorry that things have um, unfolded in the way that they have. But in you know accelerating this move to uh, digital uh, and um, elevating customers' expectations, as I said, there has been a doubling down, so to speak, on the products and features and solutions that we offer uh, to to businesses looking to talk to their existing customer base, um, mm. and so. We have reaped the benefits of those product advancements and enjoyed being able to offer our perspective and input as uh, our own personal perspective and input as users of the tool, as well as, as I said, a, a you know, voice of the customer, so to speak. And that is easier said than done when you have you know over 30,000 customers and 20,000 conversations happening a month. You know, Distilling that down into meaningful insights and takeaways is, is certainly easier said than done, but very empowering and, and something we're excited about. Um, you know, I guess the final thing I would say is uh, the move up market. Any growing business turns their focus to a shift up market. How do you build and evolve your tools, services, and features for bigger and bigger customers? And Intercom is, right. is, uh, is part of that. And our team went from being an SMB support team to a mid-market support team and well on its way to an enterprise support team. So just as Intercom mm. as a company is moving up market, so to speak, much like our peers, as is our team as an Intercom customer, if you will. And so, you know, the challenges that myself and our operations team face today from a capacity planning and a in a routing conversation, routing and uh, leveraging bot technology, uh, it just looked different two, three years ago because our customer segment was uh, smaller and their needs were different. And uh, we're not right. leaving those customers behind. There's no shortage of startups in the world, so we're you know we're essentially taking this one support experience that we offered using the intercom technology. And we're stretching it out across the SMB mid-market and enterprise space and um, reaping the benefits of the technologies that Intercom is building to support that. Yes, because you essentially became that enterprise user, the the first and foremost use case. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, Caitlin, this has been a real pleasure. We're coming somewhat to the end of the show now, just a few minutes left. Um, I really like to open up the floor to you. Uh, Is there something that we didn't address that you'd like to address? 
If not, no worries. Is there something that you'd like to leave the listeners with? I think we've covered a lot of ground, Sebastian. So um, yeah. we have uh, so enjoyable speaking with you, hearing some of the insights from your other conversations uh, as well. Thank you for elevating uh, the support voice and the support space, support heroes. I love the sound of that. I know a lot of these support heroes myself and I'm proud to work alongside them. So I guess uh, no questions uh, further from me, but final thoughts I will say is um, it can be done. As a support leader, I have faced the challenge of how do I continue to offer a positive experience to our growing customer base but how do I scale it? You know, if we just continue to throw heads at our growing customer base, this is going to become unmanageable and the economics of our business won't work. And uh, yeah. it can be done through a messenger-based uh, experience. It doesn't have to be real-time and expensive. And if you, you know, and I, I know I'm, uh, you know, kind of singing from the intercom hymnal here, but I am really just so excited about uh, the the funnel, so to speak. And um thinking about how my team and our customers and teams out there that need to offer uh, great customer experience at scale can lean into things uh, like proactive support where, you know, I had a really fun meeting this morning with our director of uh, customer engagement on how we partner on delivering that proactive support. That's a highly cross-functional effort. Uh, mm. How we lean into the um, self-serve technology uh, and resources that are available uh, to serve them up to our customers and to do it well. And then how do we empower the work of our, um, our humans? How do we make it as easy and as exciting as possible for them to do their jobs well? And we have great weeks and we have hard weeks. And um, I guess all that to say, uh, it's possible. You, you, know, you can maintain a great experience uh, and you can grow and you can scale. And I think that the, the funnel framework and um, embracing modern messaging rather than hiding behind emails and forms can really help you do that. Beautiful. Couldn't have put it better myself. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Caitlin. It's a real pleasure having you. Uh, it's a pleasure running the show and talking to people like yourself and to sound off on what you were saying. I've been struck, truly struck and, and humbled by the wonderful people that I've met as a result of doing this show and the things that I've learned both about management and business from people such as yourself. So thank you very much. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful day. Likewise. Thanks so much. See you later, everybody. This podcast is made possible by Kaizo. Kaizo is a performance management platform that helps customer support teams be more productive and engaged. If you're a Zendesk user, go to kaizo.com and book a demo today.